So let's talk a little bit about the movie Voiceless. Um, how did you come about the, the concept? What Obviously, there is a concept in this film, and we can get into, the, if you want, the synopsis of the movie, which probably is a good place to start. What kind of what's the story here? How how did you come about bringing the subject uh, forward? And and let me remind everyone that we are speaking with Stuart Migdon, the executive producer of the movie Voiceless, an anti a very powerful uh, anti-abortion movie. And, and we also remind you that when it comes to the promotion of this film, uh, he's using Debbie Blanzy at seven zero four six zero nine. Five five one nine, and there is also a website, voicelessthemovie.com, Two good ways to be a part of this project. So, Stuart, let's get back to the movie itself. How did you go about figuring out what kind of a concept to use to make the movie so meaningful and powerful? First, we wanted to identify our audience. And we uh, determined that we were writing this movie really for Christians. And so the movie, when you know who your audience is, the movie speaks to that audience in a very special way. And so we didn't have to go about proving scientifically that these babies are babies from conception. We instead wanted to show Christians what can happen when someone puts a stake in the ground and says, I'm going to stand up for what's right before God. And so what we did is, let me give you just a quick uh, one-minute synopsis, and I think that will really uh, help the listener understand how we've developed this. Uh, Jesse Dean, he's a shy, reserved, recently discharged United States soldier that moves across the country with his wife, Julia, from California to Philadelphia, to take a job as an outreach minister for a church, and he quickly finds out that uh, right across the street from the church, an abortion clinic has recently opened up. It's not around the corner, it's not down the block, but it's right across the street. And he inquires of the pastor as to what's being done about it, and he faces apathy. And then he inquires of the congregation, and he faces the same. And so, so through a series of events that take place in his life, he gets to the point where he's willing to risk it all to stand up against that abortion clinic. And the movie shows what can happen when one man puts a stake in the ground and says, I'm going to do what's right before God, no matter what the consequences are. You know, you've hit on a subject that is really also uh, relevant to what's going on in this country today over the last number 30, 20, 30, 40 years. And that is we have what I would call pastoral apathy. Preachers are not doing their job, are they not? Yeah, I would say that's true for the most part. There are some that do. Uh, but you know what's interesting? Most pastors will not talk about the pro-life cause or abortion from the pulpit uh, because they, they, they don't want to offend uh, their congregation uh, they're thinking that there are women in that congregation who have had abortions and men who have been part uh, of, of the process of having an abortion. And yet, a survey was done recently that indicated that 94%, let me say it again, 94% of evangelical Christians want to hear a pro-life message from the pulpit. So, you know, pastors, 
They just need to realize that this is something God would want them to speak about and speak from the pulpit boldly. Your congregation wants to hear. Recently, I had a guest on Freedom Forum Radio, Dan Fisher, and he's written a book called Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment. And that is about the fact that in colonial times, at the time of the War of Independence in our country, the clergy was at the forefront of leading the people to fight for independence. Uh, back in those days, the, the pastor was generally the most educated person in any community, and so the people of the community would look up to him for guidance, for learning, for inspiration. And they had an enormous force on the overall morality of the population. When the Constitution was written in this country, okay, it was, it was important. It was important to our founders that the people of our nation were a moral people. Because when you come right down to it, a moral people has a lot better chance of following the law and doing right, recognizing right from wrong. So we went from a situation in this country where we had an active clergy that instructed instructed the people, led the people, gave them inspiration, taught them right from wrong, and we had a much more a society that was much more moral that recognized right from wrong. That's gone now, isn't it? Well, you know, again, uh, yes, for the most part, you're absolutely right. I think that we, we as a church have fallen into this, uh, this feeling uh, of overemphasizing grace and not realizing all the attributes of God, and those attributes are founded on righteousness. And, uh, and the moral law that God has written on our souls and living by that moral law in order to bring glory to God. I mean, he made us his image bearer. He made us in his image, not our outer appearance. That's not what the image bearer means, but that he has put inside of us the difference between right and wrong. He's put and he's seared his Ten Commandments on our souls so that we'll live in the ways that he would want us to live. And so when, when uh, the, the commandment says, thou shalt not kill, well, it means that we are, sh- we, are, we are told and we should be protecting life. And the Bible goes on to explain that more throughout the scriptures. And that's what we need to do more of, and I think that's the kind of preaching that we need from the pulpit more of. Your film brings forward this concept, okay, that it is important to take a stand. Um, How does the main character wrestle with that in Voiceless, the movie? He is a shy, reserved guy. Uh, And he's not unlike most people. He doesn't want to get involved. Uh, but he feels this urging within him to do something about this abortion clinic. And so what he tries to do is he, he tries to pass it off on somebody else. My pastor, he says, maybe he can help. Or he says somebody in the congregation might be able to help. Or maybe someone at the pregnancy center could help. Or maybe some of the other folks that I'm uh, involved with through the outreach ministry I work can help. And so finally, when he realizes that no one can do anything about it, 
he gets to the point of, of, of recognizing that it's his obligation. If nobody else is going to do it, he's going to do it. And you know what's interesting about this, Dr. Dan? He's a flawed character, just like you are, just like I am, and just like everyone listening is. He makes mistakes. He doesn't go about it in, in the way that uh, is perfect. Uh, this is a movie that's gritty and it's real, and it tells the story of how somebody would react in, those, in, in that situation. Uh, they may not have all their I's dotted and their T's crossed, but he crosses the line. He moves forward, and he trusts the Lord, and God takes care of it. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. Since the dawn of life on our planet, animals have bonded together informing herds, prides, flocks, colonies, clutches or gaggles, an animal by instinct seeks the protection and safety of the group to increase his chances to survive as an individual and to reproduce and propagate his species. Human behavior follows that same pattern. Few of us can live totally alone, 
rejecting the companionship and counsel of others. For most of us, social interaction is an essential part of existence and a necessity for thriving and attaining success in life. Our intelligence and ability to communicate in so many ways, however, makes social interaction in human groups so much more complex and intricate. Membership requires group loyalty, respect, and a willingness to act to protect fellow members and the group itself or face expulsion and sometimes disgrace. In the year 1624, John Donne wrote, and I quote, As therefore the bell that rings to a sermon calls not upon the preacher only, but upon the congregation to come, so this bell calls us all. No man is an island entire of itself. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Now in times of peace and harmony, participation and support of one's brothers and sisters in the group is easy and without much risk. When times are contentious and when hostility, malice, and deep division exist, self-preservation becomes the norm and standing up for good versus evil is reserved for the principled few. Such was the predicament for the clergy in Nazi Germany when Martin Niemöller wrote, and again I quote, First they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trained unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Now, listeners, is that not our dilemma today? How can the message of morality be heard above the cacophony of evil? We have the physical equipment, the God-given anatomy to speak, to yell, to act, if we choose to do so. But what about those who cannot yet speak? What about those who would most assuredly scream out in self-preservation, but have not the ability to be heard? They are the voiceless, the living children of God still in the womb. Who is left to speak for them, if not us? This is Dr. Dan, and that is my opening statement. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Stuart Mignon, executive producer of the powerful anti-abortion film, Voiceless. The DVD is being released on March 7th, And there are some exciting ways you can participate in programs and screening of the DVD, and we'll talk about them later. Now, Stewart started his career in accounting, obtained his CPA designation, and then started his own employee benefit broker firm. He is a Christian author, ministry leader, an elder in his church, and is the founder 
of Jesus Take the Wheel Ministries. Stuart Migdon, welcome to Freedom Forum Radio. Dr. Dan, I am really blessed to be here. Thanks for having me on. It is our pleasure, Stuart, because this is going to be an interesting interesting story for us, and I want to begin by having you tell us the background story of this incredible film, which I have watched, and it is an incredible film, a powerful film. What got you started on this ambitious project? About five years ago, my partner and I got together, and we said that we wanted to do something that would impact the culture for Jesus Christ. And when we thought about ways to do that, we kept coming back to the art of films. We realized that people go to the movie theaters and they emulate what they see on the big screen. And unfortunately, coming out of Hollywood, there are so many godless movies and worse than that, movies that degrade the name of our Lord. So we said, what if we were to make a movie that would not only glorify God, but would motivate Christians to engage the culture. And so that was our goal, that was our mission, and when we decided on what we should uh, motivate Christians to engage the culture on, we kept coming back to the most egregious sin of, I think, all time, and that's the sin of abortion. And so we made a movie that would motivate Christians to engage the culture against the sin of abortion. You know, I'm I'm really impressed by by what you've said so far, because I know from going to the movies that over the last several decades, not only has the quality of films generally decreased, but the the morality of films has decreased in, in such a noticeable way. When I was a child, the movies were, were always pretty much based on good versus evil. Uh, I used to love when I was a kid going to the Westerns. Well, you know, the guy with the white hat was always going to win because he was a good guy. The guy in the black hat was not. Uh, that kind of morality is uh, is out the window, is it not? It really is. I mean, take take a gander uh, at the uh, at the websites at the local movie theaters that that you attend. And, and take a look and see what, what these themes uh, of these movies are about. And it's going to be very hard-pressed for you to find more than one or two of them that have that kind of good versus evil theme where the good wins over the evil. And we wanted to change that, and we still do. In fact, we're continuing uh, to make movies as well. Uh, and, uh, and so we are encouraged to, uh, to change that culture through the art of film. Well, again, the mo- the movie Voiceless is about a subject which is obviously of great importance. Um, you know, back in the day, years and years ago, certainly back even in, in the time when our Constitution was written, medicine was in such such an infancy compared to what it is today. And I'm sure that this whole subject was – people didn't think much about it probably because – Pretty much, when a woman was pregnant, she gave birth, and that that was it. No one really knew a whole bunch about what was going on inside. It's only recently, with the advent of medicine, medical testing, and things like that, that we can appreciate the fact that a human being is there in the womb very, very early. This is this argument that we're talking about—an amorphous mass of cells—is pure baloney. 
I mean, you look at some of the ultrasounds, there's, there's a human being in there. Not as big as you and I, but it's still a human being. Absolutely. You know, when Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, we did not have the ultrasound, nor did we have the science that we have today. Uh, but right now, in the age in which we live in, uh, the ultrasound generation, so to speak, which is the window into the woman's womb, uh, we can see that these babies are alive, uh, that they are moving around at the earliest of life. And not only that, we're able to prove that at the point of conception, uh, this little baby has all the DNA that they'll ever need. All they need is time and nourishment for them to grow. They have a special set of footprints. They know the color of the eyes, the colors of the hair. They know the gender of this little baby in the womb. Science, without even the scriptures, without even the Bible, scream out for these little babies in the womb from the point of conception. So we live at a time now where we cannot deny that these babies are alive from the very beginning of conception. 